Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Southern Tomfoolery Unlimited, the interview show where we like to STFU for a change and listen to the wonderful words of our fantastic guests. I'm your host, Zach, joined as always by everyone's best friend, Adam. How's it going today, buddy? It's another day with rain. <laughs> that it is. That it is. Well, we have a great guest lined up today. She is a streamer, cosplayer, TTRPG podcaster, and the HBIC that's head bard in charge of Heartsinger Games, Miss Ann Richmond. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, truly. Doing yeah. all right today? You know, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. I uh, have been... This is this is like Merry Medical Christmas is like an NPR show, but I always think about it whenever I'm like, I'm fine, except for this horrible injury. I actually like super sprained my ankle about a week ago, so I've been very relaxed uh, yeah. with my feet up uh, for for some time, and this is one of the more uh, exciting and entertaining break the break the monotony of my life things that I've gotten to do. Awesome! Well, since we I could... tripped over my dog in the dog park. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's one of my it's one of my many. I like to think of it as like it's a, it's a feature, not a flaw. My clumsiness is okay. just a part of it's a part of who I am, and I try to. Sure. <laughs> roll with it. Shine, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of who you are, and yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners. You're a streamer, but mm-hmm. what do you stream? Who do you play with? What's happening in your world right now? Absolutely, yeah. So um, around the time of January of last year. I decided, F it, I'm going to do content creation full time for a year and just see uh, if I can figure out who I am as that person. Um, and and then after that, I'll decide monetarily what I what I want to do and what my what my course will be from there. So I started streaming on on Twitch and doing a variety of things, just things I thought were were fun. Um, that things that I felt like were fun to watch because I think that's a, there's a difference between something you have fun doing and something you have fun sharing is is Absolutely, different. Absolutely, yeah. And so I started playing RPGs on there. I played through the uh, the Alien um, Isolation uh, RPG. I screamed like a lot, a lot, uh, and was terrified. <laughs> uh, I played a bunch of Blackout Club, which is this awesome indie. Um, indie i guess team like it's it's collaborative there's some elements of pvp but there's a lot of uh of role play in it because you're all playing kids in this town called red acre that is uh kind of a company town where everyone's parents have moved there to work for a company but at night uh the kids start realizing in the mornings actually that they have like dirt under their fingernails and their parents are always super tired and there's like mud tracked inside and they start realizing that there's some sort of hive mind from the company that's controlling their parents and causing them to sleepwalk. So you end up getting all these missions and you in groups of, I think it's four start going into the town to discover more about the place. And there is an element of live voice acting and also uh, typing role play back and forth. So as you're playing the game, which is, you know, a, a team 
a team, I guess, st- based stealth objective game. Uh, you are also sometimes visited by these these gods or these entities who want to help you or negotiate with you. Uh, and altogether, you start moving the story forward through these enhanced horror events that happen in your game. So if you're somebody who likes just stealth objective games, it's super fun and super creepy if you're into that. But if you love role play, as I know everybody on this car uh, on this call does, uh, mm-hmm. it can be really fun to just deep dive into that community and read all of this lore that's been discovered by the players and in some cases created by by the players um so yeah so so it's pretty it's pretty fun i did a lot of that and then i started thinking um well i was already recording a podcast uh called star found which is a Starfinder show uh with a bunch of my friends for about a year prior to that and we decided let's start doing it live on twitch so we started recording live on Twitch every Thursday on the channel. And now we're wrapping up that storyline in kind of a finale season that will be just based in podcast form. And then we'll figure out what to do next. But you can often find uh, tabletop RPG for charity games on my on my channel. Yeah. Across awesome. many systems. So I think uh, Adam and I met doing our, um, our Paizo uh, event for... Um, Oh my God, my my brain just shut down in the middle Jaspers, for Jasper's game day. Yeah, uh, we 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 met doing that, um, which was all all the Paizo games were were hosted on my channel. But I also do anything from um, we did we did Cats of Cthulhu. We've done which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, we've done a lot of D and D. We've played Ten Candles. So I'm definitely one of those tabletop RPG players that likes to delve into a lot of different systems. Well. First of all, Anna, I just want to say thank you for providing an excellent overview of literally. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna touch on all this stuff. So yeah. mm-hmm. here's yes, what you yes. have to look forward to. Yeah. Thank you for giving <laughs> us the, the overview. So let's start at the beginning, right? How sure. did Ann Richmond become the head bard in charge? What is your <laughs> TTRPG origin story, if you will? We like to ask this one to everybody. Sure. Yeah. So my TTRPG origin story began in high school. I went to a boarding school and my um, theater teacher's uh, daughter and son said, why don't you come over and stay at our house? Because they lived locally and I lived in Chicago, but the school was on the on the East Coast. And so they were like, hey, why don't you like leave campus for the weekend and come hang out with us? And um, they were super into stage combat and had all these weapons and were super nerds just like me. And so my first memory of playing uh, Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons was a 3.5 with her brother running the game for us and teaching me how to make my first ranger whose name I do not remember. Uh, but she was, I just said, I just want to be Lady Aragorn. That's what I want to be. <laughs> and so, and so that's, that's how it was. Um, but yeah, so we, we played all weekend long and I remember we were sitting um, at their just rough hewn wooden tavern like table with all of these shields and swords and stage combat uh, weaponry like hung on the walls and uh, that was that was how it all began and so we played that weekend and then I didn't play again really until college uh, after college Um, and I started watching what was it I feel like I was watching the guild and I was like super into world of warcraft and then something happened where I just felt like man I really want to try that D&D thing again let's Let's get back there. Uh, and so I got a group of friends together, and I've been playing with that group and many others ever since. 
Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. So you said that you were into theater, which mm-hmm. brings me to my next question, because yeah. if, I feel like these sort of go hand in hand, being into theater and then also getting into cosplay. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what draws you to that craft and maybe what some of your favorite cosplays that you've done have been? Absolutely. Um, so I went to uh, theater school. I went to NYU Tisch, um, and I went to... Um, the first place I was there was Playwrights Horizons Theater School, which they kind of, it's kind of like, like not to mention she who shall not be named, uh, JK Rowling, the, the worst <laughs> human in history. Well, not the worst, but she's up there for me. Um, but, uh, it's kind of like Hogwarts in that, like, you get sorted into, um, different styles of, theater teaching so if you could be in the experimental theater wing or you might be uh studying meisner technique and i was in playwrights horizons theater school which was for the kids who do it all the raven claws if you will uh <laughs> who were wanted to do acting directing and design and creating original work and writing for stage and so um i even though performance from an acting perspective and uh, for me singing as well was at the top of my list i had directed one acts in in college and i also really loved uh the visual design element of theater and film and so i was not someone who sewed in at that time uh so i focused more on set design and prop design and things like that but then after school, I started getting sucked into into YouTube and nerd culture via. I think I mentioned the Guild already, but oh, for uh, sure. you know, I was I was a huge fan of that and fell into kind of you know my later geek life uh, acceptance of who I of who I was, and part of that was bringing the nerd that I felt I had to keep inside, just frankly to survive high school uh, at boarding school, where you know I think we talk a lot about. I mean. First of all, I'm I'm intensely privileged, and I accept that about myself. But um, the fact that at boarding school, if you're getting bullied, there's no escape from it. Like you can't mm-hmm. go home; uh, you just live there with your shame and your self-loathing. And so, I very early on adopted. I think I started boarding school with like all of my Star Wars posters on the wall, and then after like year two, I was like, okay, I am going to be milk toast. I am going to be a nerd because I study hard, but I'm not going to talk about like all this other stuff that I love. And so it wasn't until, you know, coming to New York and feeling like, yeah, I can just be who I want to be and getting through uh, hiding a lot of my nerd stuff in school um, to get through, uh, you know, being accepted as a as a serious performer um, in that in that space that I finally afterwards was like, what am I doing? I'm just not enjoying things that I want to enjoy. And a part of that was discovering through my interest in World of Warcraft, uh, Kamui cosplay. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, and I was like, wait, people go to BlizzCon and they dress up as night elves and orcs. Like, this is so cool. And so I ended up going to a BlizzCon and seeing it in person. And then eventually for me, uh, it was, you know, I was afraid to get involved for myself because I felt like as a person who is not a tiny uh, model archetype person uh, that I would be made fun of. And that was like the worst possible imagining for me in my mind at that time. Uh, now I'm just fine with it. But at the time, 
time. That's what kept me from delving into it. And I remember going to PAX East one year when um, some friends like paid my way and had me do their um, makeup for uh, Darth Revan and she was going to be a Twi'lek. And so I was doing all this special effects makeup and I thought I'm waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning to make somebody else's fantasy real. Like, what is what is wrong with this picture? And yeah. so I my first cosplay was uh, Appa from Avatar The Last Airbender. And okay. I went to a friend's house in Long Island and we bought all the fabric and I came up. I felt like if I was an animal, I could it wasn't really about other people's opinions. It was about I need to divorce myself from like needing to be a model. If I'm a sky bison, then I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I made uh, like puppetry arms and stuff so I could move all of my arms and legs together. And I went with a group of people that all did avatar cosplays and we just had the best time ever. And so that was the beginning. And so for every show after that, I set goals and I went from needing somebody else to do the sewing elements uh, and I would hand sew the rest. Uh, so anything that needed to be structurally sound in that first co cosplay, I had uh, done by a friend of mine, and then I sewed the rest of it together. Like, I sewed the arms together and created the rest of it. Uh, and then after that, I started realizing that YouTube is a tremendous resource where you can learn every anything. Uh, yeah, and I was already enjoying so much content online that it made it easy to realize, you know, somebody can teach you to do something. You don't have to you know, go to a home ec class to learn how to sew or, you know, go to an after school class or, you know, an evening class to learn it. There's so many resources. And so for every of those initial costumes, I think I did uh, Chromie from World of Warcraft one year. I did, God, now I, I can't even think back that far. I did a Jedi costume. And then eventually I started getting involved in the Star Wars costuming groups and kind of having to level up my skill level because you're doing screen accurate or screen quality costuming at that point right. to work with the charity group. So I joined uh, Saber Guild, which focuses on uh, stage combat and, and charity work and original characters. And so I got to design and create my own Jedi up to Luke has, Luke, Lucasfilm's uh, standards. Nice. And then uh, and then more recently, I worked on with a group of ladies, the uh, Padme picnic dress from everybody's favorite Star Wars movie, Attack of the Clones. Best <laughs> um, one. Best one. From the, the, from the, the meme, right? Like, yeah. The, yeah. That's exactly it. Well, so when that meme started like getting really uh, lit earlier this year, I was like, this is the greatest day of my life because when <laughs> I'm able to go to events, I can recreate this in really fun yeah. ways. So, um, yeah, that was that was one of my favorite ones because it kind of I went from a place of needing other people's help to wanting to do things without other people's help because I thought I thought it made me less of a cosplayer, which isn't true uh, to have to order from other people or. Uh, you know, not complete it myself, which just isn't true at all. Uh, but that was something, I think the theme of my life has been realizing that a lot of doors that have been shut to me, like I'm the last person holding them closed. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I worked with a group of, of ladies that I met in these uh, Star Wars charity events. And um, they're some of my best friends and they all uh, cosplay Holdo and Leia and like all of these like powerhouse 
you know, women that inspire so many people. And yeah, maybe not everybody loves every one of them, but we we love them for what they represent to us. And so we're the Senate squad uh, and we have all of our senator costumes and, um, you know, super, super exciting. We're going to Star Wars Celebration. Uh, it's kind of funny because uh, we're going to Celebration next year. But like my dad is also coming. My dad has a an Obi-Wan Kenobi costume that I put together for him. So. Like, like nice. original trilogy. Obi-Wan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, very nice. So. This is so so out of left field, but I feel like it is such a great time. So my dad's first time cosplaying was at the last celebration in Chicago. It was his first time going to a a convention of any kind. Uh, And because I grew up in Chicago, they invited a bunch of my Star Wars costuming group friends to stay uh, rather than be in a hotel. And so they got to like be in a house and my dad made... My dad's a caterer. He made like beautiful dinners and uh, breakfasts for everybody. And my my parents would just sit downstairs like everybody was going to prom in the morning, taking pictures of all the costumes as like Darth Vader <laughs> left the house and Leia left the house and an Ewok left the house. Like they were, they could not have been uh, more happy. Uh, and my my favorite costume was a friend of mine did uh, Ruth Vader Ginsburg, and it was <laughs> incredible. I uh, yeah, love the great. mashup. And so then on one of those days, my dad got to be Obi-Wan Kenobi and I let him borrow uh, one of my lightsabers and he just looks so much, uh, so much like Alec Guinness when he like had the ho- the hood up. And I don't think I really realized how old my father was like, no offense, dad, but I just didn't really because like he's still my dad. And when I saw him in the costume next to like someone's fan art of of old Ben, I was like, wow, like you really are transformed. And so I went to the bathroom at one point and I came back and he's there with a kid and he's like, just remember the force will be with you. Always. <laughs> like he had practiced the full Guinness. Yeah, um, I was just giving it. Yeah, and this this guy was taking a picture of his kid receiving this Disney quality interaction with my father uh, and the guy's crying and I'm crying. And my dad's like, are you OK? And I was like, no, it's just so wonderful that you get me. Um, and so, yeah, so he's excited. I'm just to, in touch with my emotions. <laughs> yeah, I'm very I think some would argue I'm very in touch with my emotions when it comes to that yeah. stuff. But yeah, so he's he's coming along with the Senate squad and, and we're going to do. Star Wars celebration and Disneyland and the whole the whole deal next year when we can finally, you know, hopefully a little bit more safely be with everybody again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the reemergence of of cons in general as well. Yeah, there's there's several I'd love to catch. Um, yeah. Okay, so I, that's a pretty comprehensive. Yeah, there you uh, go. Cosplay. <laughs> thanks, thanks for giving us the rundown. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's great. It's great. There's a lot of uh, really interesting things that you touched on, um, and, and I feel like we were 10 minutes ago, but um, you mentioned kind of having to be an underground nerd growing yeah. up, and I, I think I feel like I relate to that so, yeah. so much. You know, Adam and I were, we met on the, the music scene, playing mm-hmm. in bands together, and I, I think when we both realized that we were both low-key nerds, trying to pretend to be cool music guys uh i think that's the beginning of our bonding as friends totally yeah for sure it's 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 an amazing feeling once you realize that like what you thought was so like i don't know you just yours and like that nobody really understood it and the internet kind of made it smaller the world smaller in a sense you're like oh my gosh there's like tons of people Mm -hmm. who who 
share the same passion for these types of things. And like, it's not weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's just scattered. And now it's all kind of brought together. And like it, I mean, our nerddom brought us closer together than our music did. And we're both like, music is a huge passion for us, but like we're best friends because of our nerd yeah. interaction, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. It's, so I think what, what it sounds like to me is that for you, cosplay was kind of like an explosion of all that repression. It <laughs> really, know, like, it really was. And it was, it was, um, it was an explosion of all that repression, but also like self-acceptance. It was mm -hmm. about me saying like, okay, so, you know, I have as a person, like I talk a lot about like as a, I, I guess I would call myself an advocate for like body positivity and self-acceptance for where you are at a particular time um, with, you know, how you feel about how you appear as, as grub flesh in space. Uh, that's <laughs> terrible. Don't delete that because it's incredible, but it's a, ugh, that, that is an example of how I feel about myself a lot of the time. Uh, I'm stealing grub um, flesh in space. I'm just going to tell you that. Just like a gelatinous cube. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just feel that, um, you know, if you can get yourself to a place where these characters have such an emotional pull on you or even just a joy pull on you that you can't deny needing to exist in a space and accepting that wearing some kind of costume or like even if you're going to wear it's it's the, it's a level up on wearing a T-shirt that has I love X fandom like I'm a Trekkie mm -hmm. on it to a convention that everybody else who likes Star Trek is going to like want to talk to you about that. And so when I started realizing, you know, that I was going out there and in acquisitions incorporated uh, cosplay and then all of those people found me and wanted to talk about it or, um, you know, all my probably my better known stuff is my my critical role cosplay for Yasha and uh, and Keyleth from campaign one. Um, and, you know, I made so many friends and had such a positive experience at cons where as much as I can talk uh <laughs> i can talk uh i i'm a super anxious person and it makes it harder for me to do if somebody else doesn't like say hi first if that makes sense so cosplay is a, a door for that too so i guess if you're somebody out there who has wanted to try it and feels like they don't have the skill or they are scared just just do it in your own way whatever way you feel comfortable to committing because you don't want so many years to go by before you allow yourself to be yourself fully right right yeah absolutely a excellent excellent summation of that and mm -hmm. uh one other thing uh real quick mm -hmm. you mentioned you know you, you play wow and you cosplay yeah. me i can't let this opportunity get away it's without doing the meme have you heard about the critically acclaimed mmorpg final fantasy 14 featuring yes. the award-winning expansion heaven's word etc etc my friends are always like heaven's word heaven's sword heaven heaven <laughs> heaven's word uh that's the joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I just I had to do the meme. I, 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 it's fine. You know, <laughs> it's fine. To... And I have. And it's great. And yeah. I don't know if that unmemifies it. But yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about Hearthsinger Games, right? Your mm -hmm. main gig is Hearthsinger Games, which is a TTRPG streaming channel on Twitch and yeah. YouTube. Yep. So, uh, you know, what... You kind of touched on it, but what drew you to wanting to be a streamer? Yeah, so I 
have a friend um, who's done it, and I had worked on his charity tabletop uh, RPG channel, Geeks for Good, uh, when they had been doing, we had at the time been producing five tabletop streams a week um, and raising money for different for ch- different charities. And after... Um, after it came to my attention that like I should, I had lost. So to be clear, I had lost my job right before this uh, with the the pandemic upon us. And I was working in tabletop games at a distribution company. And they kind of saw the writing on the wall that like this was going to be a big deal. They were probably going to have to restructure to survive uh, whatever COVID was going to bring. And at the end of that, uh, that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And I think I sort of flailed around in the darkness. Like I said, I mentioned a lot of video games earlier and a lot of them had a role playing bent. But the thing is that I think people came to watch me play video games, but talk about tabletop RPGs. Uh, and that was kind of the weird Venn diagram of my, of my chat. Um, and I, you know, when I worked in tabletop um, distribution was a community manager. And so that is kind of how I viewed the purpose of my Twitch channel was to find the people out there who would be all up in that Ann Richmond special sauce. That sounds so wrong and terrible. Let's skirt right by it. No, uh, no, let's focus but, on it. <laughs> let's focus on it with a, with a lens. Uh, no, but yeah, so I, I, that's why I made it. Um, and that's, that's what I started exploring. And it wasn't until I sort of started realizing that I needed to have things that lasted a little bit longer that I started to explore the YouTube angle because I was a big fan of a lot of YouTubers and I liked editing videos, but I was scared to start my own channel for whatever reason, just because I didn't know what the dividends would be. And the thing that's confusing I think, to people starting out is that Twitch can actually net you, um, you know, a monetary reward faster, but it's in terms of its lasting rewards, unless you super take off, you get kind of stuck where you mm-hmm. are. Um, whereas every time you put out a YouTube video, it's kind of like playing the lottery. Like it could take off, the algorithm could pick it up and start pushing it out for you. The discoverability there is higher. And so your ability to continue to grow, even if you do nothing, is higher, which is different than, t- than Twitch. Cause if on Twitch, you know, people are always talking about even big streamers, like I'm afraid to take a vacation because if I don't exist, they're a click away from having fun with somebody else that day mm-hmm. and maybe then every day thereafter. Um, and so that's how I got involved in YouTube because I, it was, it just made good sound business sense to start trying to put out uh, a weekly or bi-weekly video on YouTube. And I started seeing exactly that, that my videos were getting pushed more on YouTube, that the growth was happening faster on YouTube. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say that I am like a big YouTuber because I'm definitely not. Um, but I am approaching a thousand, uh, a thousand subscribers on my youtube.com slash Richmond channel. Uh, within the first year and it took longer than that to reach a thousand subs or a thousand, a thousand uh, followers on, on Twitch. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like the, the views are going up exponentially as opposed to on Twitch. Like let's say we do the Jasper's game day thing and it brings so many new people who discover and, and subscribe for that month. But then if you're not giving them the same type of content they came for and I can't produce, you know, days of, you know, 10 hours of tabletop RPGs every single day, uh, they start to fade over time. 
So mm-hmm. um, if you're if you're out there and wanting to stream, absolutely, I would say do do it if it makes you happy. But if you're looking for, you know, creating a footprint for yourself on the inner internet, make sure you diversify um, your content across multiple platforms. And that's how that's how uh, the the other channel really took off and came to be. And I. I won't say that I don't want to stream anymore. I like streaming, but all of my streaming I found um, really serves discovery of my YouTube channel at this point. Yeah. Uh, and the streams, I have moved away from video games completely, and they're always talk shows or podcasts about tabletop mm-hmm. in some way. So on Thursdays, I have a stream sponsored by Eldritch Foundry, which are fantastic makers of custom miniatures. Um, and we do a show called Building Character, where I build a character and their character creator uh, and talk about it or build a character from an adventure path or uh, a, a campaign that I'm playing through that's pre-written and my interpretation of what they look like as an NPC uh, in the character creator. Um, and that's that's kind of Thursday's stream and Friday's stream is usually like uh, we'll do class Thunderdome where we'll bring in three classes and each of us will argue uh, myself and my two friends, Emily and Chris, will argue why we think Bard. It's always Bard is the best class. No, for <laughs> me, that's that's the the uh, the inevitable. But um, but yeah, the other we'll we'll do stuff like that and play games and things like that or or have serious discussions like the role of tabletop games in our mental health and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I you know, one, it's funny, one of the questions that I that we had on the list here was uh mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the like unseen or hidden challenges of being a streamer? I feel like yeah. you already touched on that. So, we'll just cross <laughs> that one off the list. Uh, yeah. Excellent. But about the name <laughs> Heart Singer, you know, yeah. th- th- that to me invokes an imagery of a bard in a tavern is Absolutely. that maybe a character that you played with the surname hearth singer that where you drew that from so i the first time that i recalled um hearing that term was when i was playing world of warcraft and we were running Strathholm, and there's like the hearth singer that you have to find and and kill for whatever reason because it's Strathholm mm-hmm. is a bad place full of bad bad boys uh, and so <laughs> well Strathholm really didn't have much of a, a chance you know yeah it really didn't so you go you go there and you kill this person who's been horribly overtaken by you know undead Bane or whatever I can't remember exactly I'm sure people will be like well actually that's not exactly <laughs> but the, that was basically the quest line within within yeah. a dungeon to do that and so. Um, that's where I first heard it, and it kind of stuck with me there. And then uh, my friend Brian Deckhart, uh, who some may know from Detroit Become Human, um, and also uh, is a is a fantastic Twitch Twitch streamer, uh, he and I wrote a a uh, web series. Um, it's it's all coming back to me called Ocast, which was a mockumentary about the Greek gods. Living in New York City, we made like six episodes of it for funsies after after we finished college. And uh, Brian directed it and we wrote it together. And I played Hestia, the goddess of the hearth, uh, which I was playing around the same time that I was having this nerdissance in my life. Uh, and so that around the, was the, around the time that I was playing a ton of uh, a ton of World of Warcraft and was in Strathholm every other day. 
Uh, and uh, that's how the name kind of stuck with me. And when I was re sort of branding myself online with whatever username I was using in uh, various, you know, signups for various games or, you know, accounts and things like that, I would always use Hearthsinger. And so then it came time to start running those tabletop games with, uh, with Geeks for Good for charity. And they were like, what's your GM name? And I was like, I could be GM Ann Richmond, but it, it came together. I think somebody else decided it was going to be GM Hearthsinger. And that's, that's how it happened. And ever since then, um, that's what it's been. And it, it goes with my bard branding and persona and, uh, and heart. And I, I wouldn't dream of changing it. And so that's, that's how it stuck. It's a good name. Yeah. I like kind of unconsciously or subconsciously for the longest time, I, I thought that that was your last name. I for, wish like, it was. <laughs> I was like, Adam? how did she get such a cool last name? Yeah. Like, uh, but so you mentioned this earlier, but mm-hmm. for a week in May, um, your channel became kind of the Paizo Game Systems hub for Jasper's Game Week, yeah. which was a charity for suicide awareness. And I even had the great pleasure of GMing you on one of those days. Um, and it was by all measures a huge success for Jasper's. And so can you tell us a little bit about how that came together and how you managed to organize so many games and so many personalities? Totally. You know? Totally. Um, well, first of all, I, I did not do that alone. Uh, or even I think the the big person that should get a lot of the credit for pulling pulling it off is uh, Jason from What Do You Pods. Mm-hmm. Um, Indeed. He knows <laughs> everyone. Huge shout out to Jason. Yeah. He knows yes. we he's love an him. Angel. Literally yes. the hugest shout out. Um, he... So, so just taking it back. That's that's. I just wanted to, like before another word be spake. I let me set the <laughs> record straight that like that that show. You know the operation of it during that week rested on my shoulders. Uh, but what he did to make it happen uh, was was Herculean uh, in 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 its largeness. Um, so before that, uh, this, it was kind of a weird cross section of the two parts of my life, right? The part where I had worked with Paizo because I had worked professionally in game distribution and had interviewed Eric Mona, uh, and some other folks, um, for various, uh, game releases that we were going to put out on our company's YouTube channel, which was at the time called Active Player Network. So we had... I already had that relationship with um, with Aaron Shanks, who's uh, the the marketing director over there. And so when he reached, when I guess it was, no, it wasn't him. It was uh, Jasper's posted saying, "Hey, we want to do a Paizo event. Like, who who do you think would be good to rope into that?" Um, I saw it and I said, hi, I do a Starfinder podcast, like, let's talk. And then Aaron, uh, who knew me from there, said, yes, yes, you know, we've worked with Anne before on things with Paizo. So definitely, definitely work with her, which was really nice. So um, even though I don't have the largest footprint online, suddenly I was like, ha, I did it. Oh, no. Uh <laughs> Now I have yeah. to do it. Uh, so yeah, so uh, you know, coming from uh, you know getting to bring everything that all the relationships that I had formed um, from my professional life uh, in distribution, uh, then to the new professional relationships I had performed uh, with 
people on the podcasting side of things. Um, and the experience that I had had streaming both, you know, at that, at that company, but then on my own channel ever since. So it was a challenge that I knew I would be prepared to meet. Um, but I had no idea that we would be part of raising over a hundred thousand dollars for, for Jasper's game week, um, which yeah. was across all of their streams. So it wasn't just us, but, uh, you know, any other stream I've done, I think the maximum we've raised on my channel in a, you know, in a 24 hour period or a two day period has been like three, maybe $3,500 most. Um, and here we were raising at least a thousand dollars a day. It was nuts. Um, and I was, again, not that I, I always, I always think it's better to underestimate than to overestimate when you're doing a fundraiser like that, because you want people to feel the excitement of achieving something as a community when you meet one of those milestones and then the giveaways get released or whatever the next phases gets released. Um, but I remember saying to, uh, Jason before we went uh, live with it, you know, do you think this is, too much or too little like do you think we're going to raise more i have no idea what to expect uh and he said me neither so i guess let's just like try to raise two thousand dollars and then if we do <laughs> then great and we did that within like the first game and a half uh, and i was like okay well uh <laughs> clearly goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly uh this needs to be diff handled differently in the future but it was nice because you know none of us knew what to expect because jasper's game week before this has been uh, primarily a Dungeons and Dragons experience, and mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's that's who uh, Fenway, who runs it, Fenway, the teen DM, um, who is who is great and so inspiring with the work she's done for suicide prevention and awareness uh, with this charity. You know, she had a lot of connections through uh, through Dungeons and Dragons, and so that's how it started. But I think she really wanted to open it up to the greater gaming community, and that's why she wanted to, you know, invest in content that would speak to Paizo fans uh, and people who play Pathfinder and Starfinder. And so, you know, that's that's how we got Jason on board. I think he he found the tweet himself or was easily recommended as the person who knows everyone. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he and I sort of I, I paved out in the beginning, you know, I want to make sure that we have di as diverse games as possible. I want to make sure that it's not just I hate saying like just a bunch of white guys, but because it's never just a bunch of white guys, but like I wanted to make sure that this felt like a place that everybody could come since Jasper's mm -hmm. uh, Jasper's community is very diverse um, as well. And I wanted them as the people who are already familiar with the work that Jasper's done to embrace the event. Um, and I wanted it to be a comfortable place where everybody felt welcome and seen. Um, and I think you know, while there's always work to do, I was really proud of how well we were able to honor that initial kind of mission that I that I sent at, that I set out. Um, and again, Jason is is 100% the person to uh, applaud for for working so hard on trying to do that. And one of the things we realized about our about our community and about our podcasters is that when it comes to all of the amazing stories that are being told um, in Pathfinder and Starfinder uh, that we knew about and Jason knows about most <laughs> most podcasts, big and small, um, there were not a ton of people of color to choose from. 
And I think that that is something that, you know, we have to look at ourselves at a community and ask why that as a community and ask why that is and what we can do um, to to make those people feel more welcome and to allow them to experience like the awesome p potential of, of uh, Pathfinder and Starfinder. So, um, again, I think we we showed that there are a lot of awesome people who don't look like us, uh, who who are telling these stories. Um, but you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that we can do in that realm. Well, yeah, I, I think it came together quite nicely and, um, you know, getting to participate was, was an honor for me in having a table full of people that I have not, well, I had one, one person that I yeah. was aware of, <laughs> but you know, uh, or two actually, I'm sorry. But anyways, the, it was just a really cool experience to, to, kind of share that space with people that you haven't before you yeah know, for absolutely. a good for a good cause and it just it really did give like a whole different dynamic to to the games you know and there yeah. was an energy about them that was a lot a lot of fun and i think a very positive experience i think um the greatest thing about something like that is like how together everyone feels especially when we're in the midst of a pandemic you know which is still mm -hmm. You know, we're we're here at the tail end of it, but it's still a thing. Um, and at the time, you know, we don't I think, you know, Zach, you mentioned missing cons like this kind of felt like a little bit of an online con where people mm -hmm. got to network and meet new people. And as you said, Adam, play with new people. And mm -hmm. I I loved that aspect of watching the games and playing in a few of them um, because I, I'm also obsessed with how many different ways there are to approach tabletop games both as a player and a GM. And so it's really fun to see people's different styles come out uh, and get to, you know, getting to play in, in a game run by, run by you that has your, you know, flavor and, and kind of relaxed style to it uh, mm -hmm. is so fun because, you know, I don't, I don't play, I don't, play with another I mean every GM is different but I don't play with another uh, GM where it feels like a like you're just kind of having a conversation everybody is like taking it seriously but it feels very comfortable uh, mm -hmm. every it's not that I'm uncomfortable at my other tables but like it is built uh, to make me suffer because that is what I have chosen right mm -hmm. if it's not PTS D&D was I even playing that's kind of the like <laughs> catchphrase that I use and so most of the GMs that I play with in like a streaming or um, you know, storytelling uh, RPG system for for entertainment is like somebody who's going to make me cry, uh, mm -hmm. which I which it was a it was a healthy breath of fresh air with you, Adam. I appreciate it. <laughs> to be fair, I was being really nice because it was being streamed and it was for a bunch of people that were not familiar with He's me. He's like, but join yeah, me again. Uh, I can make you cry. No problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's what you want. Yeah, oh, I mean, he makes us cry regularly. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah. I'm in. That's but I do. I, I do appreciate the kind words because yeah. I, I do want, despite that, even if if the content of the adventure yeah. that I want to be like very harrowing and all that, yeah. I do want the people playing to always be like glad to be totally. at the table. You know what I mean? And I'm sure all GMs want that. That's not something unique to me, but it's definitely like something that's at the forefront of my mind I every time I sit down to GM, you know? I also think it's it's scary to be, you know, this also speaks, uh, is like a thought, I guess, that I, a thought that I think, uh, like most thoughts, uh, <laughs> about uh, GMs who take on games at, at cons. 
you know, you never know who's going to be sitting down at that table. And so sometimes you have to soften your style or open your style a little bit just to um, make sure it's going to be fun for everybody. And it, it is a challenge, especially when you're somebody, you know, who comes from an established show where people, you know, want want like the 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 branded Adam experience. Uh, and so and so I think I think that is that is a challenge when you find yourself in that position. And um, I think you handled it well. <laughs> well, thank you. It was it was a, it was an easy table to GM. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking of branded shows. Sure. Let's talk about some of your branded shows. So you are regular on a couple of podcasts, mm-hmm. primarily Starfound and Lost Mountain yeah. and have been featured on the Glass Cannon Network as well. Um, so let's start with the Starfound podcast. Give us the, like, the elevator pitch on the podcast and tell us sure. what we like to roll on the show. So we wanted to do a non-adventure path adventure. And uh, I think, you know, I don't think it started that way. I think uh, we were given a very clear instruction of, you know, we had to pick some element, I can't read so long ago, but some element of the Pact Worlds that was like a cornerstone of our backstory. And instead of that, I did what I wanted to do, probably because I didn't read the instructions carefully, but I am obsessed with Vlaka. Um, and I, Me too. I Me love too. them. I love that there is not very much information about them. Uh, for anybody who isn't aware of Vlaka, they're a like lupine anthro-lupine, you know, wolf husky people race or ancestry rather. Um, And uh, I really wanted to be that. And I wanted to base my storyline around the fact that the Vlaka are looking for a new home because they live on a world that orbits a dying star. And so I came up with, you know, I want to be one of the people that was sent out from Logic to go and find a new home for her people. And and I want to be a Solarian because I want to be a wolf Jedi, and that's that's basically the uh, the depth of my <laughs> of my thinking. And I wanted to like create a character that lived somewhere between Star Wars favorites in my mind, which are like the the physicality and and spunk of Ahsoka Tano mixed with the grave responsibility uh, for a young woman that Padme has. Uh, in in the Clone Wars series. And so I was like, that's what I want. Uh, and that's what I think I can do. Uh, and and uh, when I then I opened my mouth uh, and a weird accent came out and I was stuck with it. And, <laughs> and uh, so there's this like very serious nature um, to that. But uh, but it's definitely I, I enjoy the wildness of it. And everybody on that show uh sort of got looped into this find a new home world for the uh for the vlaka to live on so we ended up in a system made outside of the pact world so no existing lore uh for any worlds um i guess you were like give me the elevator pitch so taking it back the elevator pitch is it's a cool story. it's like a 40 story building <laughs> yeah it's, it's like fine. i was like i don't know how to do this i'm terrible uh but yeah the elevator pitch for the show is found family um, trying to make a new home in an un, uh, I guess, an uncolonized part of the galaxy. So it's like very can, Wild West 
um, I like it. themed. I mean, you kind of touched on a question that I personally mm-hmm. really wanted to ask you um, because in doing some research for the PC that I'm playing in our new show coming mm-hmm. up, I also am playing a Vlaka <gasps> Solarian. Um, and I came across your amazing resource of Vlock and Lore yeah. that you have on the Starfound Star Patreon. Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like a wealth of information. And I was over, almost overwhelmed by like, okay, I don't even know if I can use this or should I use you this or whatever. You absolutely can, first of all. Like I made it to be, I wanted more Vlaka, so I made more Vlaka. Have the well, Vlaka. It's, it's really great. I mean, you have like, <laughs> broken down into yeah. all the clans and their different like traits and, and kind mm-hmm. of features and everything. It was really fantastic. It was he- very um, helpful for me, but I just wanted to take a second to pick your brain yeah, about Vlocker. Sure. Perhaps um, even tease a few tips out of you on how you go about playing one. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, if you... Okay. So the way that I see um, the Vlocka is sort of like a meld of Norse and Inuit and uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um, like Celtic kind of in style in that mm-hmm. there's this focus on on family and what you live on in these harsh environments and uh, there's this this uh, loyalty factor. Um, and then there's also, you know, the fact that wolves have packs and pecking orders and that I started to see um, that sort of theme amongst all those all those three uh, cultures very very strongly and so when I went into naming everything I did some in that in that lore book I did some uh, look into uh, Inuit names and you know how they how they name and what they stand for um, and so that's how I came up with the the Amaruk name um, which now I don't even remember what it stands for, but that's how I came up with all the names for all the different clans that there were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it came to the uh, tech, their sort of religious quality of, of being a planet where a lot of, in my mind, it seemed like the perfect place kind of inspired by kyber crystals and uh, the planet of Ilum in Star Wars, that like if there's this frozen planet with all of these ice caves and natural crystalline structures, wouldn't that be a place where you might find uh, Solarian crystals? And so I kind of came up with this idea that uh, they worship the... um, they worship Desna and the black butterfly. Some worship some, some worship the other. Uh, but that many Solarians who are dedicated to those gods uh, either come there on uh, their, I guess, like similar to like a journey to Mecca, you know, um, they mm-hmm. might come there. But a lot of Solarians who are born from the Vlaka, uh, you know, they they discover they discover these kind of crystal underground crystal palaces uh, and cave structures that um, where you can hear the music of the spheres, especially the the blind Vlaka um, can hear the music of, of the spheres. And so that was kind of a lot of the just baseline notes of what I thought would be cool to work with. Um, from just extrapolating from the the little seeds of story hooks and stuff that that Paizo gave us, as far as the way that I have played one and think that the cultural center of them is to me, uh, it is about 
primary, most Vlaka are about family in some way, whether that family is their blood family or their pack or their crew. Um, that being said, they're definitely sweet doggos who want to make sure that everything is fair. Um, and that's something that, that Paizo is very like, particular about, which doesn't mean that people can't like be like the one Vlaka who's not like that. You absolutely could be. Um, but culturally speaking, I think, you know, that is, that is what makes them, uh, succeed and fail. Like, how do you end up where your territory is the one place like orbiting a dying star? It's probably because you're a little too nice a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and the reason they haven't found a new place to be is because, and, and this is something that Amaru has to deal with a lot is like she she doesn't want to be the bad guy. But in order to be a leader, sometimes you have to be at least respected. And some of that uh, respect comes from fear uh, at times. And so I think that's a, you know, a, a line that uh, Vlaka in leadership positions have to walk is how do you become the alpha? Is it? because you're the best fighter and everyone is afraid of you or is it because you are you know good and you take it's like the that feel that meme about alpha males where it's like if you've ever described yourself as an alpha male you're not an alpha where the, <laughs> where are your snacks isn't an alpha somebody who provides for the pack you know so i think about um i think about that with her a lot is like her her role is provider um but her core is much like a dog like needing to be loved and liked and probably forgiving too easily and getting caught up in that uh terrible cycle <laughs> yeah. i've been uh, screwed a lot guys uh in this yeah. game <laughs> yeah I, I, I plan on similar experience what are you what but, are you do you can you share anything that you've decided about your vlaka uh i mean we've uh yeah we've already recorded the the first four episodes mm -hmm. i guess at this point um as i said he is slaring he is the the captain of a you know we're playing fly free or die yeah. so it's it's when we start we're we're just a regular old freighter crew mm -hmm. you know and he's a brand new captain who um i will say this that has spent a lot of time running away from his responsibilities mm. because he's so focused on the stars and finding a star that works yeah you know um that he almost was overwhelmed with the potential and like the expectations that he had from from the get-go cool. uh and so that's why he's like doing a blue collar gig that just travels a bunch because yeah. um but then we'll see how it goes from from there that's super know? fun yeah i one of the things that i got excited about lore wise um leading up to the Jasper's game day stream that I did was I did, I did a stream that was very focused on logic and the Vlaka cause I wanted to like use some of the lore that I had written in the, um, the document mm -hmm. you, you talked about. Uh, and I, I found all of this information about the idea of the stair of stars, which is the constellation that points the way to Desna's palace and like her demi plane where she lives um, and so the idea to me that the Vlaka planet would be one of the stairs, that one of, one of the planets in the Stair of Stars constellation, and that if the uh, if the planet goes out, uh, or the planet, if the if the star goes out, if it becomes a black hole, um, then what happens to people's ability to connect with Desna? Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I love the idea of like Vlaka's being obsessed with stars in some way i don't know i just i love them play vlaka play more vlaka everybody that's <laughs> this is, if you take nothing away from this uh play that and definitely um go watch that 
go watch that stream if you have a chance, if you're interested, because I, I wrote some cool poems about Vlaka and... <laughs> <laughs> So, and someone should enjoy them. Yeah, yeah sorry, go so, ahead, Zach. So, Anne, I, I know that you are a fan of the Vlaka, but how do you mm-hmm. feel about Starfinder as a system? You know, favorite things, oh, yeah. favorite things. What do you think about it? I love the ability to customize. I love um, the classes are really interesting to me. And, you know, Paizo is always releasing new stuff, and there's so many things I haven't gotten to see or play with. Um I like the far-flung experience of Starfinder. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, yeah. And I've played elves. I've played like so many. I've played Lashinta. I've played so many different things um, in in Starfinder. And I always want more, right? Like it is never a game where I'm like, okay, well that was fun. I guess I had my space venture and now I'm done. Um, so if anybody's <laughs> looking for another player, I'm always interested but uh, I will say that for me as a neurodivergent person that uh, all of the math and the crunch factor makes it very difficult for me to DM mm-hmm. uh, and I have come up with a lot of fail safes when we're playing live uh, to do a lot of the math for me and like track the conditionals so that I don't miss anything. And even then I'm just like, why is my, I have to roll the dice and now I don't know what I'm supposed to add or subtract from it because there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I find that to be a little, a little difficult um, in, in Starfinder, but not prohibitively. So just that uh, if I'm not in the mood for Starfinder, Starfinder can feel like a suck on my energy rather than revitalize me. If that makes sense. Right. Um, Mm. But if I'm like ready for it, if I if I've done everything else to prepare my my body and my soul <laughs> for Starfinder, <laughs> I'm usually pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean the crunch is definitely a factor, and I completely understand that. That was yeah. initially one of the things that I did not like about it, yeah. and I guess over the course of two years of playing the system, it just sort of yeah, you just get used to it. Just, I also feel like, and this is something that everybody's going to be like, oh, hot take, but it's actually not that hot. Uh, I don't love, I either love Starship Combat or I hate it. Like, there's no in between. I'm either bored out of my mind and frustrated because I can't do anything to be that helpful, or I am like, have I'm on the edge of my seat because one role will come down to whether or not the entire crew dies right there, right? Mm-hmm. And I either love those stakes or like, I feel so betrayed by those stakes i guess because when i'm rolling when i'm rolling the dice to determine whether my character lives or dies yeah i'm like i can own that but if i'm rolling the dice or somebody else is rolling the dice that determines literally everybody's life or death in this game um that starts to feel like my agency is so taken away from me but that is what it would be right like if yeah. you're having sp- like i don't deny that that is the reality of it it's just the emotional uh reality of playing through a moment like that can be really rough um luckily it's never happened to me where i have died because of something like that but guys it's been real close yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. well you know yeah. i've found that like really leaning into the role play part of Starship Combat mm-hmm. makes it ten times more enjoyable than if you're totally. just thinking about the crunch. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and I I've certainly that part for me has been easy on Starfound because I play a Vlaka, so I'm often either the captain or the gunner based on my stats versus everybody else's. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I have a very clear job to do. It's which which cannons are facing that way. These ones roll the dice and shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not worrying about applying or removing that many conditionals um, unless I happen to have a round where I'm in the captain seat. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. Uh, so let's real quick talk about Lost Mountain, which sure. is a podcast run by the fantastic uh, Eleanor DeLorenzo, uh, featuring yourself and Sydney Emmanuel as players and using mm-hmm. the, is it Vasin? Am I pronouncing that right? Vasin. Vasin. I always pronounce it wrong. I'll never get I've it I've been right. carefully trained by Eleanor yeah, to yeah, yeah. say this correctly. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So in Vassin, um, you know, I stated earlier you did some work in the Glass Cannon Network yep. producing androids and aliens. Mm-hmm. So is this where you met Ellie and Sid, um, or had you known each other prior? So weirdly, uh, Eleanor's husband used to work with me at a company where I worked. So that's how I met her, because she came in and I was like, oh, my God, it's Usagi Tsukino from Sailor Moon. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I had some I was on my nerd bullshit and she was like, oh, I like that thing that you have. And I was like, do you also like nerd shit? And so then we <laughs> she was the one that I wanted to hang out with with like company events when like people would bring their spouses. So um, that's how we how we met each other. And then she knew that I was into tabletop games and she was going to be auditioning for the glass cannon originally, um, back at, way back in the day. And I was like, sure, I can help you with that. So we had like some early conversations about like her audition and what the games were like. And st- I was already playing Starfinder at the time. So I gave her some, you know, tips on what to expect from the game and stuff like that. Um, and so that was, that was how the, in the before times and then after glass cannon, I definitely met Sydney there, uh, at glass cannon. Um, and it was, it was, uh, I think Eleanor and I also know Matthew Capitacaza, um, who was a great example of somebody who had, I been really out about things that I was nerdy about in college, uh, we might've started playing tabletop games with each other much earlier uh, because we would have known that uh, anything about each other, but instead yeah. we just stared at each other from across a room and said, Hey, what's up? <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that's how I met them. Uh, and how, and, and how that's how sort of uh, lost mountain came together. Yeah. Eleanor decided, um, you know, the boys were kind of doing their thing uh, with, with glass cannon and we were, doing nothing um, related to what they were doing. And Mm -hmm. we were like, we miss each other. Uh, Eleanor really wanted a chance to be uh, in the, in the storyteller spot. And uh, she obviously has such like one of the greatest privileges of playing with her uh, in this, in Vassin in particular is because she has an emotional um, and intelligent connection to the source material. Right. Yeah. Um, being mm-hmm. able to play a Nordic horror piece with somebody who grew up there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is is really really cool. And I got to learn a lot about you know a place culturally that I don't have a lot of relationship with. Even even I. So I've never been into like Norse mythology. It's not that I hated it; it just wasn't on my agenda. Like I spent most of my time being interested in Greco-Roman mythology. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was through that podcast that I was like, okay. I'm finally going to do this. I'm going to read. I read Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. I actually did that live on my Twitch channel as I was like learning more about it. We had like uh, re- uh, a book club kind of on there where I'd go on there and, and read it aloud. And then we'd talk about the different myths and stuff. And um, so, yeah, so I, I did that and uh, and wove that into into my character, Astrid Nieberg's uh, occultant uh, or occultist uh, backstory. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So when we interviewed Eleanor last year, only mm-hmm. the prologue for Lost Mountain had been released. Yeah. <laughs> now that the entire season is complete, 
Yeah. What uh, what kind of were your overall takeaways from that experience? Well, um, one thing is that, you know, the story for those characters is, I, I believe it's over. Um, and it is so cool to get to, I've only, this is the third time I've finished like a campaign, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's the third time it's happened for me. And there is something so satisfying about it. And so like uh, the, the sad that feels good, right? When you're mm-hmm. just like, I cry because I miss this person or I like miss living in those moments like with that character but not uh not like sad because like i'm upset uh and and like i love that kind of romanticized tragedy of of a character's story coming to a close um and what i can tell you without spoiling anything is that i think eleanor did a really great job because we were not playing an adventure uh that was pre-written of really delving into everybody's backstory in due time Mm-hmm. Uh, between between me and Sid and I uh, didn't know if we were gonna like how far we were gonna get with with Astrid um, and like the one two punch in the last I would say like in the latter half of the show um, you know I got to feel so much character character growth and working with Sid was really fun I know you know they come from playing Starfinder which as we said is so crunchy and uh, we certainly were finding our way in those early episodes as far as, you know, how much to talk and how much to banter and how much uh, fun to have, quote unquote, quote unquote, before <laughs> the bad stuff started happening. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that was true from the start was like we had these uh, one-on-one scenes with uh, Astrid and Henrik, um, Sid's character, that really felt... Uh, like a joy to write in a way, like writing as you're performing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love doing that with Sydney, and I like that because we only had two players in the early game before we brought on guest stars and before we brought on um, Kaya Amara, um, also from from Glass Cannon Network friends, uh, to finish out the series with us. Like we really got to establish this buddy cop duo of yeah. Astrid mm-hmm. and Henrik that I think is really unique in the tabletop RPG storytelling um, as performance space. So Yeah, I mean, especially having a small party. Yeah. That, I mean, just that in of itself is unique, you know? Yeah. And then to be able to dial it into something specific like that, like a, like a partnership or, or yeah. a buddy cop, as you said. And yeah. for, for us, you know, we also got to do the thing of, like, can a, can a man and a woman be friends? It turns out they can. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I think people early on thought that uh, from the prologue, like, ooh, they're going to they're going to date. But like I very specifically in the beginning, um, you know, was like Astrid is is married and likes her socialite life. Um, It's a it's a shield for her. Uh, And that was one of the cool things about about Vassin is that, you know, if you're somebody who wants to play in the context of history where, you know, sexism exists uh, but there's also like fairies. Uh, this then this is great for you. Uh, and that was one of the things that Ellie and I talked about early on. Was she was like, you know, if you play a woman like the way I'm writing this, like that might be difficult for her in some scenarios. And I thought, you know, I love things like Downton Abbey and period pieces where like the women have this really cool um, power that they have to learn how to wield, but not overtly if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And to, like, powers over manipulating, you know, <laughs> it sounds so so rude, but, like, getting men to do things 
uh, in their stead where they would never be accepted in that room. And there were times where like we would get into places and, you know, Henrik would just be like, oh, I'm a I'm an investigator. They'd be like, come on in. She'd be like, wow, I can't believe you can just go somewhere and say you want to <laughs> see somebody and they'll let you. That's crazy. Um, but it was that was one of the fun things about Astrid was, you know, leaning into a a hyper feminized character who understood, you know, the rules of society and, you know, fancy life at that time period. Uh, but who also, you know, beneath that, that was all that is all just a cover for the fact that she is obsessed with um, you know, lore and myth mm -hmm. and legend and believes in the ancient Norse gods and Freya in particular. Um, and that was so fun to get to play with throughout the story. And it, it's more or less relevant at different times. But, you know, that was kind of the, the fun line that I got to walk and, you know, Sydney did such a fantastic job of, you know, having, having uh, Henrik's own priorities be so clear. And I think that's what made it fun for new people towards the end of the of the story to come in because we had that time right to to establish ourselves as a partnership right. uh and it made it easier for us to open the door to those people because they didn't have to establish so many truths yeah at the beginning right. of jumping into a guest spot but y'all were very much lived in by that point mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah all right. Well, excellent takeaway of that. I, I appreciated that. It, it, I mean, if, if someone hasn't checked it out yet, I think that's a great um, yeah. hook. I think. I think uh, that, that was a good. Yeah, elevator. that was a really good. Elevator Thanks, pick. guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's a great. I, I I really do think it's great for people to check out now because so much of what I hear, and I love listening to tabletop shows in podcast format, but so much of what I hear is, oh man, it'd be so hard to get into Critical Role because it's so much stuff right. or oh wow how far in is your podcast Ooh, you're like three seasons in and over a hundred yeah. episodes like that's so much but i think it's cool that lost mountain kind of exists in its own space and it has a beginning a middle and an end and mm -hmm. like that story with those characters is already over so you can kind of it's a complete decide thing. you know is that an amount of time i'm willing to put in yes it's like you pick up a book you know how thick it is that's mm -hmm. what you're doing right. with lost mountain so i right. hope more people will check it out yeah, yeah, I, I would encourage those of you that haven't to definitely do it because, as you said, it's it's not a lot of commitment comparatively, yeah. and it's a lot of good payoff in that. In that, you know, so uh, well done with for your part and just all around Thank Lost you. Mountain was a was a was a great show. Um, I, I'm, I hope that y'all do a new story. I would, <laughs> I know? would love to. I think you know the truth is, and we talked a little bit about what it's like for for content creators, which you guys know as well, is like the pressure to keep um, going is something that I feel like uh, everyone has to balance for themselves. And Ellie has a lot of, um, I don't want to speak for her, but like Ellie has a lot to give in a lot of different areas of her life. Um, and I'm not even talking about the fact that she just had a child. Like she creatively right. has a lot of projects that she wants to do. And so I think um, resting on her shoulders where she was not only writing the adventure, running the adventure, but editing and everything else on this, you know, constant pipeline schedule was something that I think she knew she could commit to for a time. I don't doubt that everyone would love to. I feel like I'm like the cast of friends being like, I don't think we'll ever do a reunion. But wow, <laughs> we did. But like, it's, it's very possible that we would all, I think we would all play together in a heartbeat. It would just have to be the right story in the right uh, situation. Sure. Yeah. I would love to do yeah. it again or even like switch off like who's running things. Um, 
you know, but you'll, I think you'll see each other. We'll see all of these people in each other's work in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's that's kind of what's important, right? Because yeah. that's what we're listening for is kind of the camaraderie <laughs> that that comes through. Totally. In, in, you know. Okay, so we have some listener questions for you, and you ready to dive? Oh my into God, these? listener questions! Yeah, we'll try to, we'll so try to make them quick. We're 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 yeah, going, yeah, yeah. we're running tight, but we're running I, I want to yeah. get through uh, some of these. Okay. So I got a couple of questions for you. First of all, from. Jason from What Do You Do Pods. Okay. Hi, Jason. So the first one is, do you have a favorite non-Vlaka entry in the Alien Archives? How dare you? I feel so called out. I'm so mad. Um, I'm not really. Uh, do I have a favorite non-Vlaka entry? Um, is this like an ancestry or like just any Yeah, any, yeah, any kind of, of ancestry in, in Starfinder that is not a Vlaka. <laughs> It's it's too late. Um, <laughs> I really like uh, Isoki. I get this like cool mob boss underground vibe from them. Um, but there are so many other like if you want to be like a creature that's a bug, you can be that. I just it never those things don't appeal to me um, personally. It does I, it's not that I would never want to play with them at the table. It just I have a hard time getting my mind around what that would be for me as I'm role-playing. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like the idea of being small, being feisty, uh, and having a dark past. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Jason also wants to know, on, a, I guess, a more serious mm -hmm. note, uh, how do you approach making partnerships or collaboration projects, either paid, sponsored, or for fun? Sure. Um, well, some of it is what comes across your table, but it's also knowing your worth and what you can provide and what you can't. Mm -hmm. So for me, I know that my reach is pretty specific. Um, I know that if people want to work with me, that if I know most of the people who have found me have found me either because of cosplay uh, or because of my videos or because of glass cannon stuff. And there's a lot of crossover between those those kind of communities. And so I would say that, uh, you know, knowing knowing who your community is so that when people say, you know, we do have uh, an affiliate program or a brand champion program, you can put yourself forward and say, well, you know, the last time I did a partnership with this, uh, I was able to provide a, a trackable link and it, you know, showed that this many people actually did visit the site or the landing page or whatever it is. Like, mm -hmm. I think most people who are starting out don't think about that stuff because it's not necessarily their profession, but being able to show your work to future people, or even if it's the first time out the gate and you've never had any kind of, um, you know, partnership being able to say, so I want to be able to track our success on this. So afterwards we can say if it's a fundraiser, like how much we raised and over how many different people, because having one person donate, you know, a thousand dollars and then five people donate the next 500 to get to your 1500 goal is not as impressive as we had a hundred donors over the course of 24 hours and we raised $1,500 because it shows that you uh, reached more people. 
Mm-hmm. So being able to break things down for that in terms of uh, what success looks like if you've never done it before and then what successes you've had if you have done it and you're pitching somebody new uh, is really, really important. And to make sure that the people that you it can be really tempting at first to like get try to get sponsorships from anybody who will give them. Uh, it's really important for both the sponsor and the sponsored uh, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> get value from that relationship and if you are not aligned uh then it is not going to happen for either of you um and you know and knowing your worth means saying no sometimes yeah so if people come across your desk and they're like we want to do this with you but it's going to be extra work for you and they're not actually willing to give you the money to produce your stuff but you know there's there are other currencies other than money and i would say to definitely be aware of those but to be cautious of them so uh, well, we'll get, you get plenty of exposure. <laughs> yeah, exposure is not a currency. A really good right. example, and I'm happy to share it, is you know my sponsorship with uh, Eldritch Eldritch Foundry uh, has been me advising them on how to uh, do a better social media approach across different channels because that's what I do professionally um, outside of outside of like me being on shows and making my own content. Um, and it also results in like they give my uh, my patron my patrons a bunch of stuff on patron Patreon that I don't then have to pay for and provide. Yes. Uh, they give me giveaways for every stri- like I have an infinite amount of miniatures that I can give away, you know, whenever I need to for whatever project I'm on. So that's that and and the crossover right with the Venn diagram of who I'm talking to that is of value to my community. They are painters. They are role players. Even if they're not painters, they might want a custom mini. You know, so you have to be thinking about that when you're choosing because you can't have a ton of sponsors. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Jason, for those questions. <laughs> um, so I've got a, a couple questions here from sure. uh, a listener of ours, uh, Brian Old Scratch Johnson. Uh, yeah. He asks, do you know Old Scratch? I do. Okay. I do know Old Scratch Johnson. Fantastic, then. Old Scratch asks, um, as someone who has both played and GM'd and recorded content, which do you prefer? Uh, it's really an easy answer, and it's to play. I like to GM a lot, um, but I love playing on air because it gives me a chance to listen to other people uh, and not worry quite so much yeah, about sure. like the <laughs> timing. Cause the, the difference is that when I'm, uh, when I am DMing a game, I'm also the producer, right? Which I don't necessarily mean like running the going live part of, you know, all of that. It's really also the aspect of like, I'm thinking about, is this a good cinematic story? Like, where's the break going to come? Mm-hmm. Like, how can I get us to break? How can I communicate silently with my eyes that everyone needs to like, let us, get to a finishing point or that this scene is over, you know, so that added stress is, you know, totally doable. I enjoy it. But if I think playing edges it out a little bit because I get to, um, you know, really dig into a character and performance, as you know, is my um, my bread and butter. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I I can definitely relate. I just started GMing a show and I, I. I feel that so much. Regrets already. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm really enjoying it, but it's definitely it's a lot. It's a lot more to take on. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, Adam goes without saying. Can relate. He's just sitting here smug as fuck. Look at you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Only have two arms. Yeah, right. Um, Anyway, (laughs) another question from Old Scratch uh, is: He says, obviously, we come from a Starfinder 
focused group, mm-hmm. but I know that you are familiar with D&D 5e. What are some yeah. of the strengths that 5e has over Starfinder and then our friend Sput adds and vice versa? Oh, man. Um, pros for Starfinder are that it's just weirder. It's just weirder. Um, there's a lot. There's so many more uh, things and it's newer and more open to interpretation um, and it allows for like a whole other access point of references. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy meets Firefly meets Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Like it's just got a lot more breadth in there, which is not to say that there isn't, you know, Star Jammer stuff in uh, Dungeons and Dragons lore. But in that aspect, I think, you know, lore wise, it's just got it's it's like it's like Portland where you want to stay weird. in yeah. Starfinder. Land. I, 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 um, yeah. Keep the packed world's weird for sure. I, yeah, I agree completely. Them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as far as like, I don't, I don't really believe that one necessarily has one over the other. It's just what works best for you, right? Like, when I need a story as a dungeon master that I know is going to be easily moldable, especially on screen or when it's being recorded, 5e feels that way to me because I can move a little bit more cinematic and it's looser. I can get through, uh, combats faster. And things like that and keep mm. the story rolling for me personally as a dungeon master with, with D&D uh, 5e rules. So that's nice for me. Um, but I do think that another aspect of that is it's less, uh, you're, you're more likely to have a good experience earlier with 5e uh, than you are with Starfinder. Because Starfinder, even at level one, you've got feats, you've got all of this stuff. And if you're a new player... And when I say you're more likely to have a better experience earlier, I mean for somebody who's new to tabletop gaming. Um, that's what, you know, 5e was built to do, is to introduce people to the hobby. And I think we can all agree mm-hmm. that it's done that very well, especially in recent years. And that's wonderful for everybody. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's one of the harder things. Like, until I got, what is it, Hero Lab? Is that what it is? Yeah. Sur- mm-hmm. Yeah, until I, until I uh, invested in Hero Lab, which I did right before Jasper's Game Day, because I was like, no reward is worth this, because I had to make so many characters <laughs> so quickly. Right, right. Uh, I was just like, wow, I never, I always come to session one having missed something in my character creation, mm-hmm. and then having to track all of the abilities I had was just really difficult. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. I, I think that uh, having... The, the online character sheets, and there are a few yeah. for for Starfinder anyway. You know, mm-hmm. Festus is a new one now that's um, nice. uh, picked up, that's free. Uh, it makes a huge difference. It it, it makes it all the difference. It, it really streamlines yeah. the experience for the yeah. player, for sure. Um, and yeah. I have one final question for you, mm-hmm. and I think this is a great uh, one to end on. Justin from the Tableverse asked you what... Hey. Do you- Okay, yeah, shout out to Justin. Um, he asks, what do you see as the next big step in your journey as a full-time content creator? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I'm going to make more content. Yeah, it's a scary, scary world. Uh, I would say the next big step is for me to produce a show top to bottom. Um, and that is something that I've actually been working on for a little while, not to like super preview on anything, but it's, I mean, I guess kind of like I've for the last year been like, if I really want to succeed, I think I'm going to have to 
either dungeon master or play in something that I have more creative control over. Mm. Um, as opposed to just being like, my friends and I really want to do a thing and I think we're, we're a good time. Um, I think, you know, at a certain point after you've experimented for a while, uh, you have to become more manicured in your approach uh, to what you, how you think whatever you're making is going to fill uh, a space that's unoccupied. And so that's mm-hmm. that's what I'll say about that. And I also think, you know, there's a reality to uh, needing to work with people who are established in order to succeed. Um, and so a lot of that is having the money that you need to pay the people who will help bring your content to more people. Um, and maybe that's a depressing answer, uh, but that is that is why it's taking so long for the next step of what I'd like to do, because I've talked to people who are willing to commit to certain things. But, you know, I need to make sure that I can pay to have like if I can't do it with the right people, I'm just going to do the same thing I've done over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, I'm already doing right. those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah. So right. I think that's the next thing. And I'm I'm excited for it. I, I have. I'm getting closer and closer monetarily to being able to be like, yeah, I can spend $10,000 on this, you know, um, but it's, but I'm not quite there yet. And I don't, I don't know what system it's going to be in, but I think that in the next year and a half is probably going to be something you'll see for me as a new, a new entry. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Hey, thank you uh, everyone for the questions and thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute my pleasure, pleasure guys you thank been, you so much it's been really great if you want to take a second and hit hit us with your plugs where yeah. people find you what you're working <laughs> on what what do you want to sell to the folks this is this is the time lay it all absolutely. out absolutely yeah so um as you guys know i'm at twitch.tv slash hearth singer games um and that is where you can find me on thursdays and fridays at 6 p.m eastern uh doing all sorts of tabletop rpg talk show content uh and of course giveaways of eldritch foundry miniatures which is super fun then on uh, a weekly basis i try to release youtube videos as well um typically on various tabletop rpg content uh or topics i've done things like how to tell a great star wars story in case you're playing the star wars RPG. I've done topics like um, how to know when it's time to walk away from a game where you feel like you're not having fun or how to be better at communicating with your table or how to be a better, um, you know, more sensitive dungeon master or player. I mean, I try to take whatever I think the thing that I try to do is look at things from all angles. So a really good example of that is I did my one of my first videos that got a lot of traction was um how to make an awesome tabletop RPG character. And it was all about like having, having a good actionable backstory. And then the next video was how to have a great RPG character with no backstory. <laughs> and it's all friend story because I don't think that there's any way to one way to do things. And so I do try to take that into account and make sure that, you know, everyone's play style is, is accounted for in my kind of investigations. But yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of fun stuff on there. It's at youtube.com slash Anne Richmond. And if you think you would like to play with me, I have a Patreon, uh, for Hearthsinger Games where you can sign up, um, and, all of the goals are based on how many patrons we have. So even at the $5 tier level, you get access to sign up for uh, monthly D&D games run by me. Uh, you get access to uh, new 
new custom magical items or NPCs to use in your games. Uh, we do monthly hangouts where we do like a video and I'll like do commentary and watch it as we watch on Discord together. We just started the Captain America movies. We'll be working our way through that. Uh, thanks, courtesy of uh, July 4th. I was like, <laughs> is this a July 4th movie? No, but we're going to watch it. Uh, before <laughs> that, we did Indiana Jones. Um, and so, so yeah, so th- those are the kinds of things you can get on the Patreon. If that's something you're interested in, uh, come check it out. And, you know, failing that, I'll see you on Twitter at, at Ann Richmond for all of my thoughts and pictures of my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, and again, thank you so much for coming on. Customarily, uh, we like to uh, end these things with a with a great big "We'll see ya." Would you like to join <laughs> us for that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So again, everybody, go check out Anne everywhere you go, and for everyone at home, we'll, we'll see ya. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. <laughs>